Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm not joined by any new signings today, but I am joined by Tyrone Marshall. Hello, how are we? Yeah, not too bad, thank you very much. I'm by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello, Rich, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm probably doing better than the Manchester United team on this uh, Monday morning, or Monday afternoon. We're, we're recording this. We're recording this just before United's Carabao Cup trip to Luton, but of course, the elephant in the room... United began the Premier League season in a very almost predictable way. They lost at home to Crystal Palace. Um, it's a difficult one to maybe analyse because United, the caveat maybe is it was only their first league defeat since January. But uh, the issues were it was a game which sort of epitomised everything that's wrong with the United side. They didn't really have the strength and depth. They looked tired, they looked lost and they got tactically outdone by Crystal Palace. Lots of doom and gloom already tie one game into the season what did you make of the game on Saturday evening? Um, I mean it was pretty dreadful really wasn't it this, that seems the obvious place to start it was not a good game I mean I did say on the podcast last week that I did fear for United and, and felt they were a bit vulnerable because of the, the pre-season they've had and I think that was certainly an issue it obviously needs a caveat that they played terribly anyway but I think they were always up against it on the opening day of the season just because of the the pre-season they'd had, you know, they had seven players only having one week of pre-season. They've had a desperately short pre-season. They had one friendly against Villa in which a lot of their senior players didn't play anyway. Against the Crystal Palace team who trained for a month, had four pre-season friendlies and two competitive games. So as much as talent makes a difference, that level of fitness and, and understanding was always going to have a, a big factor too. And and so it proved you could just tell Palace were with a fitter team, the sharper team and, and a more well-drilled team. And I think that's got to be a concern for United that they need to get their players up to speed quickly. But, you know, that, that shouldn't excuse the fact that pretty much every player performed well below par. It, it was like going back to the bad old days, really. And it, it's a bit of a concern that United seem to have two two modes, really. When when Solskjaer has his players as fit as he wants them to, they can play this fast game, this direct running, good intensity. But as soon as those fitness standards drop, th- there's no plan B. They just look... They look like once the fitness levels have gone, or the fitness levels aren't aren't there yet. In in this case, there's just the intensity goes, and they look just an average team, and, and that has to be a concern going forward. And it's it really got the season off to a, to a bad start. I mean, there was already things going wrong off the pitch, and to add on pitch issues to it as well, it was uh, it was a bit of a nightmare weekend all round for him. You touched upon it there, Ty, that maybe the issues weren't all ones which can be resolved by transfers. The overall performance was was underwhelming. We'll probably get onto that a bit more in a minute. But Samuel, when you actually look at the game, I guess it sort of did epitomise United prior to Bruno Fernandes' arrival, really. It was everything that we, we we gained from that. But the issue of fitness and United not being up to scratch, it was almost almost inevitable and Solskjaer touched upon it. You know, he said they've only had one pre-season game. But do you think it's an acceptable excuse or do you think that these are bigger issues at the club which transfers might not necessarily be able to resolve? It's mitigation that's absolutely relevant. Uh, it's, it is an unusual pre-season and they're one of a handful of clubs who uh, are in that in that situation where, unfortunately for them, they've not really been able to build up fitness and the, the Villa friendly, as useful as it was for those players, just looking at the substitutes, it just told its own story in that they were, the squad was completely depleted. So it was almost a futile exercise in, in, in some ways. But, of course, it, it doesn't legislate for the way they played. Uh, Victor Lindelof has given goals away like that 
before he did it last season, uh, call it Scandinavian solidarity that Solskjaer has with him, but he should have been dropped a long, long time ago. And he has to be dropped for the weekend game against Brighton. Um, I mean, it was interesting. I, just just out of interest, I looked and looked back at the game and saw if Gary Neville said anything when it had that image of, of Ed Woodward uh, at 3-1. And of course, he goes on a mini rant and he's he's unhappy with the way things are going and he talks about a centre-back um, being needed and that's that's the problem that just about every area of that United squad needs improving or could could do with improvement um, but this has been a summer that they focused on forwards and I, the thing that really I think they embarrass themselves at just about every level on Saturday but the right right wing situation really did take the biscuit in that they earmarked the right wing position as their priority for this transfer window. They start the season without signing a right winger. The starting right winger is substituted at half time. And literally the last start, the last specialist right winger they bought is captaining the opposition, scores twice and is the match winner. And as Simon Peach said to me as we were walking out the ground, like they probably should have inserted a buyback clause into Zaha's deal when he went to Palace because a little bit like with Depay, there was always potential there and a good player in there, but it just wasn't the right time for him to go to United. And of course, now given the result, they, they feel the need to react to it in, in some way. And as Neville touched upon it in commentary, uh, normally that way is to go out and quell the anger uh, by, by signing players. But they are they are just standing still again. They are getting left behind. Uh, I don't think... You, you can't not go too overboard over, over the performance because it was just one game. But I think everything that's been written about, said... Uh, reflected in the aftermath of the game, you can't you can't disagree with any of it. They they were that bad on Saturday. Tyrone, when you actually look at the the way that United played, you know whether they had Jaden Sancho or not, they still played atrociously. You know it would have just been him playing on the right wing and stood there without getting the ball to to feet. The, the issue which I've seen on social media is you know that United were tactically outdone by a side who were the second lowest scorers in the Premier League last season. They scored three goals. Um, I know that maybe there's that excuse of the whole penalty fiasco and we probably won't go into that right now because, I mean, it is almost irrelevant because United was so bad anyway. But do you think there are wider concerns about the actual style of play? I mean, I didn't write about it specifically, but even in the first 15 minutes, United were incessant on playing out from the back. De Gea still looks like he can't do it. You've got Lindelof and Maguire who just aren't a partnership. And I know most of the criticism was directed at Lindelof and rightly so. But Harry Maguire is an £80 million centre-back stood next to him and he's had a handful of good games in one full season since he's been at the club. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure there's too many concerns over the, the style, personally. I mean, the style was very successful back in June and July when the season restarted and, and United then were very much a front-foot team and were scoring goals. And, you know, they might not have faced the calibre of opposition, but, I mean, they did beat Sheffield United pretty handily and, and they had a great season. Um, I, I do think this whole fitness thing is a big mitigation in, in terms of how they actually played. And of course, from Luke Shaw's comments, the, the lack of signings as well, that has an effect on the dressing room and, and what they're seeing. Um, defensively, they were poor and it was probably a, a bad time to come up against Crystal Palace because Roy Hodgson's teams are always very, very well drilled defensively and very difficult to break down. I, I wouldn't be ripping up too much with the style. I think, if anything, they might need more of a, a plan B that, 
the system is is basically the same every week at the moment, and it feels like they've become maybe a little bit easy to play against. I, I think we saw that a bit towards the end of the season. In that, do you feel like is the problem, Tyler, that United are too predictable now? That, that, I mean, they've only recently will have played Palace towards the back end of last season, and they were good in that game. They looked quite revitalised. One of the better performances post lockdown. You know, away from home, particularly. But since then, Palace look like they're a team who have developed. And United look like one who's maybe stagnated. I know, again, it comes back to fitness, etc. But United, like you said, are just the same team now, just with Van der Beek off the bench for anything. Yeah, I think it felt towards the end of the season like teams have caught on that if you stop Fernandez, then you go a long way to stopping United. And if you defend narrow, the, the wingers, both Rashford and Greenwood, both cut inside. And, and kind of make it a front three and, and try and combine around the edge of the box and combine with Martial and Fernandes. And it, it felt like if you, if you stop Fernandes and cut off his supply line, United are basically forced wide to their fullbacks. And the reality is their fullbacks are not good enough attacking-wise at the moment. The, obviously, Wan-Bissaka didn't play at the weekend. We'll come back into the side. He's improving as an attacking threat. Luke Shaw, I'm not sure, will ever really improve as an attacking threat. I think he's, he's a decent defensive fullback. But I'm not sure he's really good enough to be an attacking fullback in a team that if you're going to have aspirations of winning the league, you need fullbacks who, who contribute in the final third so that you're giving defenders more to think about at the moment. It feels like if they can stop Fernandes, if opposition teams can stop Fernandes and, and cut off his supply line and get around him, then you go a long way to stopping United. So I do think there's a concern about becoming a bit predictable and, and obviously signing an attacking left-back would help in that regard. Um, so I, I do think that is a concern. There will be times, of course, where Fernandes and the front three are just good enough to to get by anyway, even if they're, they're attempting to be stopped. But I think United could do with another another string to their bow at the moment, definitely. Samuel, you touched before with the right-wing issue. And again, I know we're going to have to underpin this with fitness, etc. But do you think Solskjaer got his team selection wrong as well? Because even from the offset, it yeah. seemed like United could have played a stronger side and it still seemed like United were there for the taking, really, when you're playing a right-wing of Fosu, Mensah and James. I mean, arguably neither of them in, in the best positions anyway. James was good and revitalised in pre-season, but he's still a left winger. He's like a second string left winger at best. Focusing Mensah isn't a right back. And they're there for taking an Van der Beek off the bench. You know, surely he should have been the one who started and it should have been Pogba or Fernandes on the bench. Yeah, Van der Beek should have started. And I, I did feel sorry for James. And as you touched upon, he, he did quite well at Villa the previous week from the left. And I, I just suspected that because of uh, the Greenwood issue and what he what he'd done in in, in Reykjavik that that he wouldn't start this game and he only started training with the first team um, at the beginning of last week so I, I just suspected James would start on the right and as soon as you saw his name there you thought oh no he's he's, he's going to get caned here because he's not going to play well because you and I saw in Perth last year that he's he's not a right winger even though he's right footed and a winger he's 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 not a right winger he just doesn't perform there. And of course, Solskjaer puts him there. He's utterly ineffectual. Um, he's not really supported by Fosu Mensah, as you said. And I mean, Paul Hurst touched upon it in his Sunday Times piece saying that Fosu Mensah struggled to get into the Palace team three seasons ago. Uh, two seasons ago, Fulham tried to give him back to United and they United didn't want him. And, and Huddersfield were interested in taking him on loan and he didn't want to go to Huddersfield. Uh, it's, it is remarkable that he's actually playing again for United that he came in back at the end of last season which I mean I think all the nails have been hammered into Diogo Dallo's coffin it's it's very very difficult to see him uh, rising from his grave like, like Fosu Mensah did and again it just comes back to the, the dilatory planning with recruitment 
not doing enough quickly enough. Uh, Liverpool extraordinarily seemed to be getting some stick because they didn't sign Timo Werner, even though they're the best team in England and they were European champions the season before last. But suddenly they pull off two very good signings. So it can be done. But again, we're, we're in dangerous territory here and the, the director of football debate is going to come up again. Or well, not the debate, but just the, the elephant in the room because United still haven't got one. They still clearly need one. And even though they did do good business in... Um, they've, they've done good business on Solskjaer's watch so far. I think a lot of people forget that the window last year was unfulfilling. They they ended it short of two, two key players and they're still playing catch-up and... If you're playing catch-up, it's bad enough, but throw a pandemic into it and the lack of a director of football and this squad rebuild is just going to go very, very slowly to the point where Solskjaer might not be able to see it through because they might not qualify for the Champions League and if you don't qualify for the Champions League as United manager, the chances are you're going to get sacked. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that is the worry for Solskjaer and time is running out on that. Um want both of your thoughts on this one quite quickly. I, I basically ask this question every week, but is the centre-back issue now bigger than the right-wing issue for you both? Um, uh, no. no I, I'll I'm say there. no. Cause, yeah, because yeah, obviously Gary Neville said in comms yesterday saying that you're never going to win the league with Maguire and Lindelof, but that's not the objective right now, is it? It's not winning the league, it's being third again and closing the gap and you need a right winger maybe more than you need a centre back but in terms of what's going forward I mean last week Solskjaer very, very ominously said don't forget about Eric Bailly you've got Axel Twanzebi coming back from injury you've got Ted and Mengi indefinitely with a first team now do you think United are going to look at the, the solutions already at the club rather than buying a centre back? I can still see that being the case even though from what I was told that they're more open to doing a centre back now but I can't. I just cannot see between now and the end of the window. Even though this this defeat might actually, you know, shock them into doing more business, I, I just cannot see them signing a left back, a, a right winger, and a centre back. Um, if they do, they won't be. They won't all be first choices. I think that's that's far too late in the day. Even even look at the bail deal that. Um, that Tottenham have done now. Bale, look, it's arguable that United should have gone for him. I, I don't think they should have, but I can understand people like yourself, especially Rich, who mm-hmm. feel as though he was a player worth worth going for. Um, he's, he's certainly worth a pump, but that was a deal that was spearheaded by by Daniel Levy because Mourinho would rather have a backup striker for, for Harry Kane. Um, so there's an element of opportunism with that. And that was with three weeks left in the window. And we've got two weeks to go until the deadline. Uh, as as Berbatov said to us the, the, the other week with, with Sancho, if, if that is to happen, it will probably be in the last week um, because of just the way it's going. And it, someone's going to look daft on deadline day, whether it's United or Dortmund, because United have spent at least eight weeks of the window trying to get a deal done for him. If they don't sign him, there's going to be utter outrage at why they didn't go to an alternative and why they didn't pay the money. Even if they do sign him, uh, there's still going to be an element of outrage because people will say with some justification, why didn't they just pay the money in the first place? Yeah, it's very similar to maybe that Harry Maguire deal last year where United undenarred and then finally paid what they were told originally on it. Uh, Some of you did that line 
earlier today on Monday. It's on the MAN website now that, you know, United have stepped up their plans to strengthen their defence after the Palace defeat. But I guess there's also the other issue that if United want to strengthen their defence, they need an actual world-class centre-back. And in two weeks, do you think it's better for them to wait a year and go for someone like Upamecano next summer rather than just buy a short-term stopgap who might not actually be better than, than Lindelof now? I, genuinely, I do. And Upamecano is not world-class. Not world-class yet, anyway. Um, I think there's, there's various definitions. We probably, us three here, probably have def- different definitions of what constitutes a world-class player. Uh, I always think it's if, essentially if it's a player that would get in any team in the world, then that's that's fair enough. Or uh, I think Miguel Delaney once said it's like if you're the in the top five in each area of in, in an area of a team, then that that also constitutes world class, which I think is is, is fair enough. Uh, I, I just I cannot think of an attainable world class centre half out there for United at the moment. There are centre backs out there that would improve them. Uh, because I, I, Lindelof, I've just always kind of seen as a squad player, even though in uh, in the Mourinho Solskjaer season he, he should have won the Smack Busby Player of the Year award, but that was still a season that United conceded more goals in a top flight season uh, than they had previously done since I think the seventy eight seventy nine season. And with Maguire, United have, have United have, have saddled is a strong word, but I guess they are because they decided to pay a world record fee for a defender for Maguire. And I might be proven wrong in time, but I just do not see him becoming a world-class defender. And as you rightly said, the last, the most recent champions of of the Premier League have had world-class centre-backs in their team, be it Vincent Kompany or Virgil van Dijk. Uh, United at the moment, they don't have a world-class goalkeeper, even though De Gea was probably the only star, only starter who performed at the weekend. And they certainly don't have a world-class defender. And where they're going to find one between now and the end of the window, I have no idea. It, there's no way they can sign one unless this this unless there's some release clause out there that nobody's aware of. I, I just cannot see it. And and even if Upamecano's reputed release clause that is active this year rather than next year, um, he's he's not a world-class defender yet, and he's only what 21, I think. Uh, exactly. That would be that would be a hell of a lot of pressure to come into that team, the state it's in at the moment, um, and 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 really improve it. Yeah, I think it's very fanciful sometimes just to think that the best young players will come in and immediately improve the team. I did see one Brighton fan yesterday on Twitter saying that Harry Maguire wouldn't even start for their ahead of Lewis Dunk or Ben White, and based on Saturday's performance, you almost see where they're coming from. Uh, Tyrone, I guess the other thing is that we've got to consider is this time next week, it could be all happiness again. United could beat Luton, they could beat Brighton and, you know, results could start going their way elsewhere in the league as well. It is only one game in. United last season, you know, started so badly but did finish third in the end. So it's not all doom and gloom. Do you still think there's plenty of time for United to turn this round in, in the summer transfer window? Or maybe the better question is, do you think they actually will? Um, I, th- I mean, It depends what you'd consider a success in, in terms of the window, in terms of whether they will. Um, Sancho, I think, is still difficult to say that it's definitely going to happen. Dortmund's hand has undoubtedly been strengthened at the weekend. I, I'm sure there was some some beaming smiles in the in the boardroom at at Dortmund, given they kicked off at the same time as United and saw Sancho set up a goal, Haaland scored twice, Bellingham set up a goal, 
I'm sure they enjoyed a bit of uh, a bit of Schadenfreude at United's expense on um, on Saturday night. So I think it's going to be difficult to do a deal for Sancho this week because they're going to, you know, Dortmund have seen United's need get much more pressing. So I think it will go down to the final week. If they don't get Sancho and do get a right winger on loan, it should in theory leave funds to strengthen other areas. But they have left it late again. If they don't get Sancho, it's going to leave them very little time to, to spend that money. So it, it can still turn around. And I think it's important to remember that when United lost to Burnley in January, it was pretty much the Dera last season. Everyone thought the season was over. It's a complete disaster. Solskjaer's reigns basically over. United are terrible. Within a month, they'd signed Fernandez. Everything was rosy. They were unbeatable. They didn't lose again in the Premier League that season. So it shows, it do, that does show how quickly things can turn around. And they went 14 games after there and, and one new signing at a pretty, pretty reasonable price completely transformed the mood. So it's not inconceivable that that will happen again if they do get Sancho. The bigger problem might be the fact that they've wasted so long trying to get him that it's already costing them. It's it's already... Cost, I mean, Sancho might not have made the difference on, on Saturday, but they've obviously been a lift to that dressing room to see more players coming in. And it might have led to a, a different result. So they've already taken an unnecessary risk and potentially dropped three points by, by trying to negotiate an extra 10, 15, 20 million off the price. Yeah, exactly. It would also be a statement to the rest of the Premier League who have invested and have strengthened their team if United were to do that. So I guess maybe another positive for United fans is the fact that, you know, deadline day in January, they did get a player in. It might have been Odeon Agarlo, but at least they did work right up until the deadline. And you sense they're going to have to do it again if they want to achieve their goals this summer. Samuel, do you have any faith in United getting more players or so? I mean, surely the minimum has got to be one, but they're still going to be hoping for more than that. I do think they will sign a right winger because they've put their necks on the line and said it's it's the priority. You can't you can't go a window without saying saying that something's a priority and then not not uh, having that sit that um, that position occupied by someone. So my, my gut instinct is that there will be at least one signing over the next two weeks. Um, I suppose they did you know they did get a a striker on loan from China in on, on deadline day uh, you know, anything's anything's possible I don't know which former European players who, who are based in Europe are playing in China at the moment I don't know who I mean oh that's it uh, Joshua King's new uh, agent is Jim Solbacken of course so there's always that as the um, as an outlet as well yeah uh, it's I it, look I know we're being cynical but it's it's hard not to be when Igalo was signed was a signing um, that was part influenced by Jim Solbach and um, I mean you, you only need to ask you only need to use his name utter his name in front of Cardiff fans and their reaction will tell you what they think of uh, his his influence on their club just over six years ago with those signings that were made when, when Solskjaer was manager but they, they definitely need look I think at the start of the summer you'd have probably looked at it and said midfielder to forwards now van der beek is he's a midfielder and a forward so at least that's kind of like killing killing two birds with one stone <laughs> if they get a forward if they get the right winger in sancho great you know that's that's a different different look on the window altogether and they have got bodies in defense it's not it is a case of quantity over quality but i think it has become a pressing issue i, I also don't think despite all the the obvious loving for him because he's got an exotic name and he's a Brazil international that Alex Tellez immediately elevates United to championship challenges. I think it's just 
supporters are so frustrated by a lack of signings uh, that they'll they'll pretty much take anyone at the moment, and and they are getting desperate. They they need their fix. Yeah, might make them sky bet championship challenges, but probably not Premier League. Um, <laughs> quick, quick question from you both on the right wing issue: If they can't get Sancho, is there any name that pops out for either of you as an alternative that you think would would do a job as a short term fix? Um, the silence is deafening. No, I can't <laughs> say there is really. I can't say there is. I, no, I was I mean, looking on. I was I was actually looking on Y Scout just to see players of that position whether any jump out and in terms of like ballpark figure unless you're play, paying big money there aren't any obvious ones that they'd have to be creative I think I'm a man after your heart here Rich but I think there is sense in David Brooks but given that he's playing for a club in the championship at the moment I'm not too sure that would go down well with the uh, with the Twitterati contingent not that United should be you know signing players based on what Twitter thinks no. anyway but yeah, exactly. And yeah, you can see him getting lots of hate quite quickly if he if he didn't hit the ground running. But you know, you know me. For me, it was bail or bust, regardless of Sancho. But uh, they've missed that trick, so uh, we'll have to watch them at Luton without uh, Gareth Bale on the right wing. But bringing us on to that Carabao Cup game on Tuesday, Sam, you've already done the line that Dean Henderson's in line to make his debut. Were you surprised that he didn't start on Saturday? No, I think everything that. All the signs suggested that it was going to be De Gea. I think if it was going to be Henderson, that that would have come out because that that would have been the story. Uh, as I said, De Gea actually did pretty well. He actually saved a penalty, which hadn't happened for a long, long time. And unfortunately for him, it was. Does it count as a penalty save? No, I don't think it does. Unfortunately, uh, it's it's scratched from the record. So his his drought there uh, continues. And he made a very good save for Mayu in the first half as well. So I think it's safe to assume that he'll keep his place against Brighton on, on Saturday. And it'll just come a point where if he makes a, a bad error, then the calls will uh, start to come for, for Henderson to come into the side. But in fairness to De Gea, he, he did actually play well. Yeah, uh, in terms of other selection issues for Luton away, Ty, what would you do in defence? How... How rogue would you go? How maverick would you go? I mean, from my point of view, it sounds like Bayer's going to come in because there's been so many hints last week from Solskjaer about Eric Bayer. Surely he has to come in. But full-backs of a centre-half, what, what would you go for? Um, I wouldn't go maverick at all, to be honest, unless you, maverick is, is playing your strongest team. I think there's an argument that United should just basically treat this as a, a more competitive pre-season friendly. Um, I think the the concern with Solskjaer for that is probably the fact that it's only three subs instead of five. But we saw on Saturday that this team are undercooked and, and need more minutes and, and this seems a good opportunity to do it. I don't think you'd want to send the same team that played on Saturday in to face Brighton this weekend without them getting more minutes under their belt. I know they'll have another few days training, but it felt like they were well short of match fitness and the only way to, to solve that is by playing more matches. So to me, it, it seems like an opportunity to basically play your strongest team and, and treat it as a friendly and, and almost plan your subs in advance. So, I think what I'd be looking to start Wamba Saka, who obviously needs the minutes have been not played. Probably play Maguire again. You probably play William Shaw. Obviously, was back early at pre-season training, so he probably is one of the few that is match fit. And think beyond that, play the front three that did so well last season. I play Fernandez. Potentially play Pogba again. He clearly needs the minutes. Van der Beek looks sharp as it is, so he can probably be rested with an eye on Saturday. But I think it's a good opportunity to basically play your strongest team and and treat it as as a 
competitive friendly, if you will, and, and get more minutes into them. You won't want to see my predicted lineup for tomorrow then, Tyrone. Very I've already, I've already your... seen it, mate, so at least we're not going to clash. <laughs> well, it, that's a nice tee. Is it predicted or personal? It's personal, surely. Isn't it's, it? Yeah, it's my it's personal. personal. It's, it's what yeah. I'd want to see, but it's sort yes. of labels are predicted. But um, yeah, uh, interesting choice. Eh? But yeah, I, I agree. I think that you know, you've got to have that balance of some players getting the minutes now. But I also think you've got to, like James, for example, surely tomorrow's the chance to play on the left wing, see if, if he actually yeah. is any good there in the first team. Um, I, I I personally would go by Lindelof, just one last hurrah for those two. Fred as a defensive midfielder could work. You know, they've got to start thinking about what happens when Matic is out of the team because I saw a lot of criticism on the weekend about certain defensive midfield and, you know, what's, what's going to happen if Matic got injured this season? Because it's, it's a valid question and, you know, a defence needs that protection from midfielder. Samuel, for yourself in terms of selection, would you go for any left field choices or would you go down Tyrone's route of of quite a strong side? Uh, a mix. I, I think Mengi should get his debut because you don't want to... Pl- well, Phil Jones is being driven into Carrington by his wife at the moment, which tells you that his um, his foot, his leg, his ankle, his knee, whatever part of his body, probably all of them, because they're all injured, uh, cannot put their foot... Down, he can't put his foot down the pedal at the moment. So, uh, And even if he could, why would you want him in your team anyway? Uh, Smalling and Rojo aren't being considered for selection. I- I- I'd go with, with Bayer and Mengi. Uh, I think it's... you know. With two and ZB not match fit yet, I think Menke needs to be given that chance to get up to speed. I think Van der Beek starting makes sense, given how he well he did coming on at the weekend, and just to build up, get some more minutes, forty-five minutes or an hour before uh, his before starting against Brighton. And as you said, Fred, Fred needs minutes. Matic probably needs minutes as well. Uh, there's there's a way of rotating the team. Uh, quite heavily, but it's still being a strong side. Juan Bissaka is another player who needs some playing time because he was a late arrival. I, I think the, the issue really is when you get to the, um, you go further forward and you look at uh, the, the, the options in reserve, it's just extremely underwhelming. I completely agree that James should be playing on the left wing just to boost his confidence more than anything after he was mismanaged at the weekend. But Igalo has seemed rather redundant since the se- since last season restarted, and but he he's the only one that has to start up front at the moment because you don't want to risk the fitness of Greenwood or Marshall or Rashford, even though Rashford has been playing poorly in a League Cup game because that that attack is one injury away from collapsing at the moment. Yeah, uh, looking maybe, or well, maybe feeding off the pessimism of the Palace defeat. Do you do you see anything other than two wins this week, or, or what do you think is going to happen, both of you? Because obviously Luton joint leaders in the Championship. They beat Derby late on <laughs> on the weekend. Brighton away. You know, United were good there uh, after the restart. They scored probably their goal of the season uh, against Brighton away as well. But um, you know, it's it's a tricky game, and if United's defence on are up to it, then there could be some real worries this week ahead, do you think? Yeah, I wouldn't say I see two wins. I'm not sure it'll be that simple. It, a lot probably depends on the team selection tomorrow. Like we say, Luton are informed. They've won both their cup games as well. I think they've played 4-1-4 four, four in terms of competitive games. So that's going to be an obvious test for United. Brighton, I thought they were good against Chelsea despite losing last week. They were obviously good at winning at Newcastle yesterday. So I think that they're both games United will obviously be favourites for and should win. But 
the way things are going at the moment, it wouldn't be surprised if they lost at least one of them. And they're going to have the same, although it's beginning to level out, they're going to have the same issue on Saturday in terms of match fitness against the Brighton team who have, who have been training for, for weeks on end and, and are clearly up and running and up at speed, whereas United clearly aren't. And, and there is kind of a negativity over that team at the moment. So I, I can see Saturday being a concern for them. Um, you'd like to think they'll have enough. And if they, do, I mean, if they do get two wins and make a sign-in this week, then this podcast will probably be a lot cheerier next week. But again, like I said last week, I felt they were vulnerable against Palace. And I think they're vulnerable again, to be honest, on, on Saturday. Yeah, I guess Brighton away is as comfortable as Palace at home, isn't it? I mean, if United play well and they turn up, then they should win. But it's whether they do that or not. Like you said, Tyrone, who knows this time next week, it could be all cheers. We could have a party poppers out. We might be talking about Jaden Sancho as the new number seven. Who knows? That's just how exciting it is. United have two weeks left of the transfer window and we will be back again later this week, I presume, to uh, reflect on whatever happens at Kenilworth Road and to look ahead to the trip to Brighton. So Samuel, Tyrone, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Manchester's Red Podcast. Thank Thank you. you. And thank you very much for joining us as well at home. Please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already and we'll be back again next time.